Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in to our program today. You may know that Family Talk is a listener-supported program, and we remain on the air by your generosity, literally. If you can help us financially, we would certainly appreciate it. God's blessings to you all. That's right, Dr. Dobson. And friend, thanks to generous listeners like you, Family Talk can reach more and more listeners with practical help and encouragement. To support Family Talk with your best gift, go online to drjamesdobson.org or call 877-732-6825. Today on Family Talk. Welcome, everyone, to this Friday broadcast of Family Talk with your host, psychologist and best-selling author, Dr. James Dobson. Today, you're going to hear the conclusion of an interview Dr. Dobson did with his dear friend, Johnny Erickson Tata, going all the way back to 1982. It was actually one of the first times these two had met and recorded a conversation together. Johnny has an incredible testimony, and as you heard yesterday, she was injured in a diving accident when she was 17 years old, which left her paralyzed from the shoulders down and has confined her to a wheel chair ever since. But Johnny has not let her disability ruin her life. Instead, she's turned her tragedy into an opportunity to minister and help those who have physical and emotional handicaps through her ministry, Johnny and Friends. She was an active spokesperson for the Disability Act of 1990, which really paved the way for equality for those with various disabilities. Johnny has also authored over 50 books and hosts a 30-minute television program along with a radio broadcast called Johnny and Friends. Today, Johnny will share with Dr. Dobson how God has answered so many of her why questions. She'll also address why she started her ministry and what she hopes heaven will be like someday. Let's listen now to their great conversation as we open the classic audio vault on this edition of Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk. What's been the reaction to this book so far? Well, nine-year-old kids write me and say, boy, I sure learned a lot from reading all that stuff in your second book. Uh, Housewives who are going through painful divorces write our office and explain how encouraged they've been by some of the principles shared in this book. What that tells me is that you don't have to be in a wheelchair to understand some of the things that I've learned as a result of this disability. I think the basic principles that any of us go through, the basic processes, the basic uh, coming to accept uh, limitations, really, I suppose, are our lowest common denominator between one another. Um, I've learned some painful things about what it means to be limited. Uh, A a youngster going through a a real moral problem with her boyfriend uh, discovers the the pain of disobedience, the the trauma of suffering. Um, A a housewife who's on the verge of a nervous breakdown uh, can understand what those limitations are all about. And so the principles that I share in this book are really rather basic. They're just... It just goes to show that, that God's universal truth is going to apply to everybody's universal problems. It's Yes, and suffering is not confined just to those that have experienced a teenage tragedy of that nature. We all taste it at some time or another during our lives. And we all ask why. Yeah. Sooner or later, we all, and whether it's the, the housewife whose cake has flopped in the oven or uh, a young boy who uh, who is played left out on the baseball team. The same grace that sustains me in the wheelchair is the same kind of grace that might sustain a a husband who who hasn't gotten the promotion at work. Okay, Johnny, straight out now answer that question of why. Why does God let us suffer? Why did you have to go through that? 
what's God doing, not only in your life, mm. but in the life of someone who does not have an international ministry and has not sold four million books? We can't understand the complete why, not this side of eternity. But even though it's a mystery, God does not give us mystery without direction. And I believe the direction can be found again at the cross, that God knows what it's like to suffer in that Christ was handed over into the the mock justice of, of Pontius Pilate. He, he was turned over to a, a Jewish mob who, who screamed and clamored for his death. He was handed over to Roman soldiers who tortured him virtually beyond recognition. He was impaled on a cross, cruelly mocked, spit upon, jeered at, and Christ suffered unbelievable torment. Now, the best that we can say is that God knows, God understands. He is intimately acquainted with grief and suffering. And not only does he have compassion, not only does he have mercy on those who face bumps and bruises and pains and disappointments and problems, but he's in control. I see that all through the Bible. He did not come to Abraham and explain to him, now I'm telling you to sacrifice Isaac, but I really have a plan involved. So trust me now and it's all gonna work out. He told him to sacrifice Isaac. And uh, I think of so many other examples. David, for 14 years running from Saul, uh, there was no explanation given to David why he was having to waste his youth out there on the hillside. Mm -hmm. God had a plan. It wasn't his time yet. And we have to submit to his leadership, uh, even when it doesn't make sense. And I get a little bit frustrated with people who make it all so simple. They can give you a complete explanation for everything that's going on in their lives. And I don't believe God necessarily reveals all that to us. We're Sometimes told, we just have to say, I accept it, God, because you are. We're told in Deuteronomy 29, 29, that the secret things belong to the Lord. The whole book of Ecclesiastes was written to convince folks like, like you and me that, that only God is the one who holds the mm -hmm. keys to the mysteries of life, and, and he's not loaning them all out. And we have uh, other portions of Scripture. How, how unsearchable are thy judgments, God? How thy ways pass finding out. They are, they are inscrutable things of the Lord. They are the secret things of the Lord. It is the sovereign secret will of the Lord, why he allows and why he does such things. However, we better include the devil in on this conversation because we need to know and need to be convinced that God does not afflict willingly. He does not delight in those things. He, he allows those things. He mm -hmm. tolerates those things. And one day we have the assurance that he will close the curtain on sin and Satan and do away with all the results of and our And in the meantime, he can take it and make something wonderful out of it. He's the expert at aborting Satan's schemes yeah. and using the devil's plans to serve his own ends and his own purposes. I think the best illustration of this. Can I get theological just for a little bit, please, huh? <laughs> Help just, yourself, Just, just for a minute. You bet. I think the best example of how God aborts Satan's schemes to serve his own ends and purposes is the crucifixion. We clearly have heaven and hell participating in the exact same event. Now, let me explain. It was surely Satan who entered the heart of Judas Iscariot. It was surely the devil who uh, incited Pontius Pilate to hand down mock justice to gain political popularity. It, it was surely uh, Satan who entered the hearts of the Jewish mob and the Roman soldiers who tortured Christ in the last hours of his life here on earth. Uh, Satan was clearly behind the whole thing. But yet in the devil's most, most daring attempt 
to, to frustrate the plan of God. He, he, what does he do? He, he slits his own throat. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, because the world's worst murder becomes the, the world's only salvation. So, mm-hmm. so Satan's motive in the crucifixion was rebellion and anger and hate, but God's motive was love and mercy. So on the day that that occurred, which is the most dastardly event of all times, is called Good Friday. Isn't that something? Which is interesting. You know, Satan's motive was to push a young girl named Johnny off of a raft, have her break her neck, wreck her dreams, shipwreck her faith, ruin her life, shatter her hopes. Yet God's motive was to turn a headstrong, stubborn, rebellious kid into a young woman whom by his grace would reflect grace and a little bit of endurance and tolerance and steadfastness and patience and peace and purpose and joy. And uh, I guess there are no clear whys. There are no clear answers, but God does not need to explain the whys because he did enough explaining on the cross. And uh, as I said earlier, for me, that is the supreme demonstration that my God is good and compassionate, powerful, and also sovereign. And he's worthy of my trust because of what he did at Calvary. I think of another example of it from Keith Miller's book, The Becomers. The last entry in that book reflects the story of a woman named Alice. Keith Miller and the others were sitting around a living room in kind of a Bible study sharing experience. And one of the women there, a woman named Alice, was relating her earlier experiences as an orphan. She was in an orphanage. You may have read the story. It's a beautiful story if you haven't. I'd recommend people go back and read that. But uh, they were all talking about what their childhood was like. And she said that she had longed for a home and family. Uh, More than anything else, she wanted to be adopted. And apparently she was an unattractive little child and was not, um, did not have the kind of physical features that would draw her to others. And uh, the people would come and they'd look everybody over and they'd take somebody else. And uh, she watched them come and go. And her one dream was that somebody would take her home. And finally one day a family came and they took her and adopted her and took her home. And she said she lived in ecstasy. She was just enthralled with this possibility of being somebody's daughter and to to live in a house and have her own bedroom. And she would go to school in the morning just on a cloud. She came home one day and opened the front door, and there was her tattered little suitcase with her coat thrown over it. And she stood looking at it, uh, and the realization swept in on her that they had not loved her as much as she had loved them, that it was not mutual and that she was being sent back. And that happened to her three or four times. I've forgotten the detail, but it happened all through her childhood. Mm. And uh, as she related this story, Keith Miller said everybody was crying around this circle, and she didn't realize that she was uh, busy relating the story, and then she looked and saw that they were crying. And she said, oh, no, don't weep for me. Don't cry for me. Because it was through that tragedy and through those needs and through the emotion of those years that I came to Jesus Christ. I might never have met him had it not been for my need. Don't cry for me. God used that tragedy in my life to make me fall humbly before him. And all the good things that have come since then are a result of it. Hmm. But why is it that in the middle of our pain and problems we forget that? You know? Because we're such emotional creatures, we're so vulnerable, tremendously vulnerable to physical and emotional pain. And, and I think we're so caught up in the here and now. Yes. We, we forget that 
The true reality with a capital R is not what we can see, hear, feel, touch, and taste, but it is the life to come. And what we are doing and how we are responding in this life that will, in a sense, invest mm-hmm. in eternity. You know, and it's so brief. It's yeah. so short. I'm realizing that more and more every day. I, I've got a, I, I've, I've got a good personal illustration. <laughs> uh, I've been in bed myself for the past couple of months, battling a very severe pressure sore, and boy, it's been tough. Now, I've written a couple of books, and you hear me often say that all things fit together into a pattern for good. And I will often recount that in everything we are to give thanks, for this is the will of God. And, and I'll often say, count your trousers, friends, <laughs> and, and count it all joy when you, when you fall into uh, difficulties. But it's been tough. These past couple of months, when I've been flat on my back, waiting for this very stubborn bed sore to heal, waves of depression have just come over me, and, and I, I sometimes feel as though my prayers just bounce off the ceiling, my world doesn't go past my backyard fence, and, and the limitations of that bedroom become somewhat claustrophobic, and my, my spiritual vision had become dulled and dim and dried, and, and it, it's, it's ironic that, uh, I don't know, he who stands take heed lest he fall, that I, mm-hmm. that I should write those things and say those things and believe those things with a capital B, and yet still uh, struggle with all that it means to mm-hmm. be human, still groan and be burdened in this tent, as St. As Paul describes in Second Corinthians Chapter five, I, I think. I think it's very important for those of us in a position of uh, visibility, those of us who live in the fishbowl, as you and I do, uh, to be honest about that, that we don't live on cloud nine, and that we do have very real emotions. And, uh, and people who find themselves depressed, people who find themselves struggling, who are living a Christian life, uh, should not look at us and say, well, they don't ever go through what I'm going through. Uh, I think there's some kinds of depression that are simply indigenous to what it means to be human. There's depression that simply uh, is part of the the fabric and fiber of of our flesh and blood, and and it's almost necessary. Uh, There's a time to weep, a time to mourn. Uh, Romans tells us that we are to weep with those who weep. Uh, Depression is is very real, and I think a, a thing that we need to accept about our humanness, but the place I think at which depression becomes unhealthy is when it begins to alter our view of God. Yes. Surely and most certainly these past couple of months I've held on to the fact that God loves me and he's there and he is not silent. But that has not altered the fact that my back has gotten tired from lying in one position for several hours or that my, my bedroom seems small and, and confining. And, uh, We're still in earthen vessels. Yes. I get tired of the television after a while. And I'm <laughs> sick and tired of reading. That'd take <laughs> about 15 minutes to get tired of TV. Johnny, where are you going? Where is Johnny Erickson heading? What do you see in the future? Well, right now, most of my time and effort and attention is taken up with two things. First, my painting. We touched on that just a little bit beforehand. Uh, secondly, my, my, my time and efforts and energies are devoted to my organization called Johnny and Friends. It's a nonprofit ministry to those who suffer, most especially uh, handicapped people and their families. I receive thousands of letters, uh, uh, and the, the letters range from, oh, please tell me how to uh, find some good equipment. What about new treatment? What about good nursing homes? Where are the best rehabilitation centers? Uh, to questions involving spiritual concerns. 
Uh, how can a good God allow suffering and pain? What about miracles? What about healing? Uh, do I need more faith in order to get healed? Uh, what about my depression? What does ha- the Bible have to say regarding disability? So the, the, the questions run the gamut um, between real spiritual concerns and real physical concerns. So out of need, I, uh, through the grace of God, started this organization that has sought to, to answer some of those needs. Now, we are busy with a lot of plans and projects in the coming years, and we are excited to be a, an assistance and a help to the local church, instructing and equipping them on how to reach out to disabled people mm-hmm. in their own communities. All right, Johnny, one more question before you go. I want you to respond to one word. Tell me what heaven means to you. When I use that word, I see a smile on your face. How can you ask that at the closing of a program? (laughs) I kind of think you've got an answer for it. That's another whole program. (laughs) What does heaven mean to me? Uh, Is it a reality? Or is it just some kind of biblical concept some prophets had uh, an idea about 2,000 years ago? I think for anybody who's disabled... Uh, when they look down at their paralyzed limbs and their arms or hands that are withering away, uh, they can see all too clearly that all flesh is as grass. It withers and dies in the heat of the summer sun. Uh, We are but a mist, a fading vapor that is here today, gone tomorrow. For me, in the middle of my disability, it is made all too clear that that my body is a temporal tent Mm -hmm. in which sometimes I am burdened and other times I, I often groan. And I think because I have such a visible everyday reminder that this life is not forever, that increases my longing and my joy for heaven. Now, now, not as though that were a cop-out or an escape from reality, because as we had mentioned somewhere else in this interview, the true reality are the heavenly glories above. So for me, I take hold of that truth that we are to uh, set not our affections on the passing things of this earth, but on heavenly glories above where Christ is seated. I'm going to have hands that will work one day and you're going to run walk. throughout the whole universe too aren't you <laughs> do aerobics and i don't know play tennis ride horses do everything and and it's it's exciting to look forward to those tangible concrete touchable realities what a joy boy no other religion no other philosophy gives the handicapped individual such hope now, only in Christianity do we do we see the hope of heaven, the hope of one thing, God vindicating his name, God there being a restitution for all things, a compensation, uh, a fulfillment, a, a reconciliation, and a new order of things, new bodies, not just angel costumes, but, but new bodies. That's an exciting thing to look forward to. Now I'm going to tell you why I ask you that question about heaven, because I was talking to your mother earlier. Oh, no. And she Could said, be trouble. <laughs> she said that you just might be willing to sing a song that's called Heaven is Nearer to Me. And uh, Johnny, can I maybe twist your arm just a little bit? To... You have been talking to my mother, I can tell. <laughs> this is Roger Marsh, and I hope you have enjoyed listening to what Johnny has been sharing with us so far. Now, at this point in the classic version of this interview, Johnny sang for Dr. Dobson a cappella. But we were able to track down the high-quality produced version of her song for your listening pleasure. So here now is Johnny Erickson Tata singing her song, Heaven is Nearer to Me, here on Family Talk. A little bird am I caught from the field of air. 
But in my cage I sit and sing to the one who has placed me there. Well pleased a prisoner to be, because my God, it pleases thee. Not have else to do, I just sit the whole day long. But he whom I most love to please, he listens to my song. He caught and bound my wandering wing. Oh, but still he bends to hear me sing. And it is so good to soar these bolts and bars above to him whose purpose I adore and whose providence I love and in his perfect will to find the joy and freedom of the mind. living in despair and though others may receive gifts of healing I believe that he has given me a gift beyond compare for heaven is nearer to me and at times it is all I can see sweet music I hear coming down my ear and I know that it's playing for me for I am Christ the Savior's own bride and redeemed I'm gonna stand by his side he will say you want to dance and our endless romance will be worth all the tears I have cried Rejoice with him whose pain my Savior heals, and I weep with him who still his anguish feels. But earthly joys and earthly tears are confined to earthly years, and a greater good the Word of God reveals. In this life we have a cross that we must bear. It's just a tiny little part of Jesus' death that we can share. And one day we'll lay it down Cause he has promised us a crown To which our suffering can never be compared That's why heaven is nearer to me And at times it is all I can see Sweet music I hear Coming down to my ear And I know But it's playing for me, for I am Christ, the Savior's own bride, and redeemed, I'm gonna stand by his side. He will say, shall we dance, and our endless romance will be worth all the tears I have What a beautiful song sung by Johnny Erickson Tata as she describes what it will be like to be in heaven someday. I encourage you to pray for Johnny 
and that her ministry will continue to flourish and change lives. Now, if you missed the first part of her timeless conversation with Dr. James Dobson, don't worry. You can simply go to today's broadcast page at drjamesdobson.org and find the link for yesterday's program. There you'll also find information about the ministry of Johnny and Friends and her many popular books as well. So hurry over to drjamesdobson.org and click onto the broadcast page for today. While you're online, we also urge you to follow our social media presence on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. On our pages, you'll find tons of encouraging content to get you through your tough day. You can also listen to past broadcasts, read Dr. Dobson's latest newsletter, watch some of our latest informative videos, and much more. So the next time you're on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, search for Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk, and then be sure to like our profiles. Finally, I want to remind you that Family Talk, of course, is entirely supported by listeners just like you. Your generosity empowers this ministry to function and continue doing the Lord's work. Now, we understand times may be tough financially for you or your family, but if you're able to help us, we would greatly appreciate it. Every dollar you donate has an immense impact on the people that we're able to reach. Go online to drjamesdobson.org and find out how easy it is to make a tax-deductible donation through our secure website. You can also call 877-732-6825 for information on how to give a gift over the phone. Dr. Dobson and all of us here at Family Talk, thank you for your kind generosity, especially during these summer months. I'm Roger Marsh. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to join us again next week for more of Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk. Have a great weekend. Family Talk is not associated with Focus on the Family.